You may be seated tonight if you can. Praise the Lord. Thank you, worship team. That was awesome. Great. Praise the Lord. I hope you came with your hearts open tonight. I know I did. I know that God has a great thing uh, for this part of the world in the city of Hayward and the East Bay and the South Bay and the Bay and all the other bays that are around us. Come on, somebody. Uh, it's a great privilege for me, and I, I know that uh, serving the Lord and doing what we do uh, isn't easy sometimes. Come on, somebody say amen. And uh, I'm, real, I'm real blessed this morning, uh, this evening, for what he's doing in our church as well as here in this area of the world. I want to ask you this, uh, this evening if you would open your Bibles to 2 Kings chapter 2, and we're going to read a few verses there. I want to talk to you about passing the mantle a little bit for the next generation. 2 Kings chapter uh, 2. I also want to thank Pastor Esteban for inviting me. Uh, uh, it's a great privilege for me. One of the favorite things for me to do is to speak to the fellas. I just love doing that. And the fellas in the men's home, come on, somebody. You can't go wrong with the fellas. Amen. Second Kings chapter 2, I'm going to start reading at verse number 7. Um, Fifty men from the company of the prophets went and stood at a distance facing the place where Elijah and Elisha had stopped at the Jordan. And Elijah took his cloak and rolled it up and struck the water with it. And the water divided to the right and to the left, and the two of them crossed over on the dry ground. And when they had crossed, Elijah said to Elisha, Tell me, what can I do for you before I am taken from you? Let, my, let me inherit a double portion of your spirit, Elijah replied. You have asked a difficult thing, Elijah, uh, a difficult thing, Elijah said. Yet if you see me when I'm taken from you, it will be yours, otherwise it will not. I want you to say that, it will not. Okay, get that in your heart. As they were walking along and talking together, suddenly a chariot of fire and, and horses of fire appeared and separated the two of them. And Elisha went up to heaven in a whirlwind, and Elisha saw, saw this, and he cried out, My father, my father, the chariots and the horsemen of Israel. And Elijah saw him no more. And he took a hold of the garment and tore it, took a hold of his garment, and he tore it in two. And Elisha then picked up Elijah's cloak or mantle that had fallen from him and went back and stood on the banks of the Jordan. And he, took, he, and he took the cloak that had fallen from Elijah and struck the water with it. Where now is the Lord, the God of Elijah, he asked. And when he struck the water, it divided to the right and to the left, and he crossed over. Father, tonight I ask that you would again remove me to the side. Give me your wisdom as I share to these great men of God. I pray that you would just instill within inside of each man a fresh challenge and a fresh anointing to be able to do more and to take on our future that you've held us responsible for. We own up to that tonight as men, men of God, mighty men of God, to do what you've called us to do. We ask that in Jesus' name. And everybody says... So tonight, I want to talk to you about receiving your mantle, receiving your mantle. I like this story because it's a very uh, good story that we can all relate to in terms of passing the baton, so to speak. This is a story of a man, two great men of God that we don't know a lot about. There's not a lot of history on them, but we see some of the actions that they do and everything that you read about with them, uh, their actions are always done with power. Say power with me. What we need in this next coming few years of our ministry is men that are not going to be moved or swayed away with any wind of doctrine, the men that are not going to be moved with any kind of changes that take place, but men that will stand firm in where God has called them. And the only way you can do that is if you're a man of power that has power resting upon your life. 
We got too many powerless men in the churches today that don't do nothing, but I'm looking for men in my life that will be men of power that say, Pastor, I will line up next to you and do what God's called us to do because that's more important to me than my selfish desires. Men have selfish desires. Come on now. Women just have desires, but men, we are selfish in what we do without the power of God upon our life. The word mantle means adereth, and what that means, it means also an outer garment. But from, it, from that word, we get a root word that means power, and it's used in Scripture to refer here in this story to Elijah that it's his mantle. And, and he actually passed on his mantle what Elisha asked for was a double portion of power, but what he actually got was an actual mantle or a garment, and that garment was the same garment that was used to separate the Jordan River so that they can cross uh, over that river. And when he got the mantle, he went back and he hit the water again and it did it again because that was an acknowledgement that the power of God is resting upon the new man of God. Can I ask you, do you have that same power from your pastor this morning? Are you able to walk around and be able to say and do exactly to have the same faith that the man of God has? Your pastor has power that God has given him. Now, I want you to know that that power is afforded to every man that is willing to say, I want that power. And if it means I got to change it, I'm willing to change. Too many men want to be the same way. I don't want men like that around me. I want men that are willing to to get their feathers ruffled a little bit and and not cry about it, not trip on it, but say, God, change this man, this wicked man, this evil man sometimes. See, Moses had a rod, and that rod was a rod that God used in his life to be able to lead Israel. Now, you say, well, God's anointing was, was on his life, but God had an instrument in his hand. Now, when, they, the, when the children of Israel were set free from the people of Egypt, the Lord led them away from Egypt, and they found himself between two mountains. One mountain on this side, another mountain on that side, and he had the Red Sea in front of them. And they, they, I want you to know God led them to that place where it looks like a place of failure. Come on, somebody. But it was God that led them there. See, God says, go this way, and you're going to see this mountain and that mountain and the Red Sea. So when they got to this place, now Pharaoh was chasing them from behind. So there's nowhere to run except to go forward. And God told him, go to that water, and I want you to put your mantle or your rod and touch the water, and it will split and open the Red Sea. Sometimes God's going to bring us to places in our life that seem like a failure, but what he's really trying to do is see how much you faith, how much faith you got to trust God to keep going forward. Everybody has a Red Sea you're going to face one day. Everybody will come to a place. If you're a leader, if you're a great leader, if you're a man that is being built by the power of God, you will find a place in your life where all your strength and ability and talents are, are drained to where you got to trust God. And it's at that place that you really become a man of God. You become a man of God in the places of failure sometimes. Because sometimes we think about it as, as a failure, but really it's a place of trusting God and learning God in a whole different way. When, when the time came for Elijah to groom his successor, he used a, a mantle as a ceremony, a ceremonial type of uh, instrument to get him to have the authority over his life. I, I want to ask you, what kind of authority do you have represented in your life? And do people recognize that authority over your life? I think God wants to put some authority over somebody's life this evening. Come on, somebody say amen. You know, we got a great, 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 great world to take, and we got a great mission and a great job this, this evening. 
But it's going to take people like you and I that got the vision. Now, uh, what a great, eloquent message the young man preached right before I came up uh, on talking about the responsibility of us as men to take on this and expand this ministry. But it's got to be more than just simple words in a person's life. It's got to be in bread like he was preaching. It's inside of that young man. You can't talk about something that's not inside of you because we are from the streets. We're from the hood. We got the real deal. We know when you're lying. We know when it's not in you. We know when you're for real. I got a lot. I got through a lot of gang banging fights and won a lot of fights simply because I can see it in the man's eye that he was weak, that he didn't have true gangster inside of him. Come on, somebody. You ever met somebody like that? They dress the way they dress. They walk the way they walk. They talk the talk. But when it comes down to it, you can see what's real from the eyes of a man. So when I'm looking out today, I'm looking to see if you got that eye of the tiger. Come on now. And if you do, then you're not afraid to take on our future. People don't like to go out of their way because of the uncertainties of the future. But you can't trip on the uncertainties and of the things that you cannot see or the things that you cannot understand. you got to have a faith that is stronger than that to trust God that he can take you all the way. In Philippians chapter 1, verse 27, I'll read it to you. Only let your conduct be worthy of the gospel. 1 Corinthians 1, chapter 1, verse 10 says, Now I plead with you, brethren, by the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, that you all speak the same thing. One more scripture, Ephesians 4, 1 says, I therefore, the prisoner of the Lord Jesus Christ, beseech you to walk worthy of the calling. Let your conduct be worthy of the gospel. Let you all speak the same language and walk worthy of the calling. Paul is saying, if you want to get down the way I get down, you got to be worthy, walk worthy of that calling that's upon your life. See, I don't like people saying, you know, faking, faking and perpetrating the fraud. Come on, somebody. I don't like fake, I didn't like fake people in the world, and it's hard for me. Really, God's dealing with me. I don't like plastic Christians either. It's real hard for me to go to battle with somebody that says, I'll do this, I'll die, I'll take a bullet. And as soon as the little girl starts screaming, he runs faster than that little girl. Come on now. I don't like to hang out with men like that. I want to hang out with the fellas, the guys that are afraid. Not because you want to act bad. You know, this don't mean nothing to me. This don't mean nothing to me. What means everything to me as a leader, as a pastor, is what's inside of your heart. Can you take a spiritual hit? Anybody can get a black eye, but can you take a spiritual hit? And can you take a spiritual black eye? Black eye? Will you get up when you get knocked down? By the way, everybody in this room is going to get knocked down at least once or twice in your walk with God. Will your potential become reality through that process? It's very important, I think, if we're going to be a people that is going to maintain that future, is to be connected and to stay connected by the influential people that are the right people that have the vision of our ministry. Who you hang out with will show and prove who you really are. I don't want to hang out with a bunch of nobodies. I want to hang out with people that have the vision. I don't want to hang out with people that just are big talkers. They're talking big and talking all that. I, you know, we had a lot of, I don't know how it was in your school, but in my high school, we would get uh, little riots at least once or twice a year. How, did that ever happen in your school? And all the Cheekams would fight against the brothers, and the brothers would fight against the whites, and the whites would fight against the Cheekams. Every year, there'd be a hundred of us in the, in, the, in, the, in the football field ready to get down. And the ones that talked the most and the loudest in the hallway were the ones that were the sissiest and the, and the most afraid inside of the, and when it got time to get down. So don't talk to me about I'm going to do, I'm going to be. Just be that man. Come on now. Turn to somebody time. Be that man. You got to check your heart this morning, this evening. The, the reason why we live in such a, a beautiful ministry is because there's been some great forefathers and some great pioneers that have fought devils that you never will ever see. 
They have fought battles that you and I will never have to ever fight because they took that on the chin so that you and I could be sitting in this room with a beautiful situation and are in our right minds because there was men that were battling while you were smoking crack or slamming dope or in the pen or wherever you were at. There was men that were battling and fighting the devil so that you and I can have the privilege. So we cannot take it for granted why we're here tonight. We got to own up to that responsibility that it's our time to step up and do what God's called us to do and not be tripping on anything. Come on now. I don't understand why people go through trials so much. Why are they so mean to me? Why are they so hurt? Why do they talk bad? Because we want you to be able to handle the battles that we're going to face. See, God has a battle plan for everyone in this room. But you will not be able to handle that battle if you ain't got these values inside of you. I'm going to talk about a few of them tonight. Our first generation leaders had certain values and traits that have built this ministry. They had things like, Faith and courage and loyalty and intelligence, convictions, discipleship, sacrifice and commitment. See, I want you to know that every word, these aren't simple words to men like us. These are men that are always backed up. They're always backed up by the virtue of who they are and how they lived out their life. So when we are men that say these words, we can't simply say them, but we have to live them out. Our pioneer generation they seen everything and they measured everything through their faith, never through logic or time or even reality. They moved everything through their faith. In fact, there was times that they would suspend reality. Come on, somebody. See, faith can do that. If you're a man of faith, you could suspend reality, even though it looks like this and it feels like this and it seems like this and it is this. Your faith can make a difference and change situations, but you got to be man enough to say, I want to suspend that situation. For example, if the enemy was trying to take you out and there's attacks coming your way, you have the power as a man of God to stop that attack. If the devil's coming after your children, trying to take your children out, you got as a man of God the power to say, no devil, you got no power or authority over my child. He belongs to God. Even though he might be in prison right now, he might be strung out right now, you cannot look at reality. You got to step out of that reality and you got to see I stand by faith. My child will serve the Lord. As for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. When the word of God becomes illuminated in your life, you see things differently. Uh, you missed that one right there. When the word of God finally illuminates in your life, you will see things differently. You see, when, like, for example, the Bible says about giving... When you give, it shall be given back to you, pressed down, shaken together, and running over. The Bible says when you give your tithe, the, the, the floodgates of heaven will open up and pour out such a blessing that you will not be able to contain it. See, if you read that face value, you don't understand because you don't work in a floodgate every single day of your life. Come on now, most of us don't, right? But when you understand the word of God, the word of God becomes brightened and illuminated. That word that says, I will open up a floodgate, then you are living now in anticipation for that overflowing blessing in your life. That's how I live right now. I don't walk around saying, oh, where's there any nickels on the ground? I don't walk around looking down, looking for dimes and nickels. My God owns a thousand cattle on a thousand hills. I can trust God for great things because I don't live in the, in the past anymore. I live by faith. I know I anticipate God to move every single service. Every time I come to church, I'm expecting God to show up and to touch a life. Walking by faith. Come on, somebody. See, in order to build a great future, you need to suspend sometimes logic and sometimes even reality. 
You got to suspend that somewhere and give faith enough time to be able to do what faith wants to do. Two things, faith and trust. Faith and trust, these are two different things. Faith is confidence. Trust is commitment. Get that in your spirit. Faith is confidence in God. Trust is commitment. Even though I become confident about something, there are some things that can and will cast away our confidence, and we all have those things that remove our confidence and to be able to put us in a position where we don't trust God. Some things like your emotions or time or people or hurt, sometimes even money will cause you to suspend your faith sometimes. See, I think sometimes we... uh, well, we say, I'm a man of faith, but we don't live by, by faith. Should I go there? Am I talking to anybody today? Say, we could talk about talking about faith, but faith is nothing unless you're walking in that faith. See, faith breeds confidence, while trust breeds commitment. Faith breeds confidence, and trust breeds commitment. So it's like this. If I'm a man of faith, I'm going to have a certain swag about me, that God is with me and I can trust God for the impossible, so I'm anticipating God. So it's breeding a confidence that I can walk. Trust will bring commitment. See, trust, I have to trust God and I I have to be committed to that trusting God even though I don't see it happening in my life. Trust is something that you only get by actually living and walking through it. Come on, somebody say amen. I think that we need a generation of men that have faith, faith to move mountains, faith to believe God. I love that, that, that video clip with our founder, faith to do this and faith to do this. That's why I love our pioneer generation. They would go do things without any money. Come on, somebody. They would go and do things and trust God even though they didn't have no people. There was not really a concrete game plan. See, that's a man of faith. That's how I want to be be able to trust God to do great things for this future. Our future in Victory Outreach is a great future. It's a future that's going to be dependent and predicated upon men like you that say, I, I want to own up to my responsibility, and I want to do that plan, that, that actual fulfillment of Isaiah 54, verse 2 and 3. See, we're going to have some shifting in the outreach pretty soon. As, a, as, the, as the outreach shifts and leadership begins to, to shift a little bit, I want you to know we still got a job to do. We still got a world to take. But we also need a generation of men that have a, a, an unusual amount of faith, just like our founding fathers did as well. So how, how does your faith? I want you to know that Jesus comes to a place in Luke chapter 22, verse 31. He says, And the Lord said to Simon, 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 Satan has desired to have you that he may sift you as wheat, but I prayed for you that your faith fail not. And when thou art converted, strengthen your brethren. I want you to know that faith can fail you. Look at what the scripture says. I've prayed that your faith doesn't fail, which gives you the clarity and the understanding that your faith can fail. Now, what makes your faith fail? Your faith fails when you stop trusting God. I better say that again. Your faith fails when you stop trusting God. Peter was about to get hit by the greatest attack of his life. Satan came and asked permission to sift him as wheat. You want to take a city? Don't think it's going to be handed to you in a, in a silver spoon. Come on now. You want to take a country? Don't think that you're just going to walk up and say, hey, I'm talented. I got skills and I'm going to do No, there's a price to pay for the country and the city that you want to take on. And that's going to take a certain amount of faith. I'm going to tell you, I'm a pastor. I've pastored in New Jersey for about two years or so. I pastored in Stockton for about 20 years, and I've been in San Jose for a couple of years. Each one of those pastorates took a certain amount of faith to be able to be able to pastor inside of that city. 
Every time that I went to the city, the first thing I did is I went into prayer and fasting for about eight to ten days. And I asked the Lord, I need you to help me because I don't know what to do. See, that's one of the first things about faith is coming to a complete obedience and trusting God for all that he has for your life. And as I went there, the, one of the first things that happened to me in New Jersey, I, I remember that this guy was in the home, and he was like a Satan worshiper, but I didn't know that. Nobody gave me that book. Come on, somebody. And this Satan worship came, and, and he came real subtly, and then I had to go to court for somebody, so I was gone all day at court, and this guy had the whole home all jacked up, and he was in the basement, and he was doing, he had a pentagram painted on the ground, and he had a whole mojo he was putting on the knee. I had a niece that was living with us, and she was there, and he had a, a lock of her hair and a piece, one of her, one of her garments, and he had it right there in the middle, and he was casting a spell on her. And all the guys at the home were all scared. Where's the soldiers when you need the soldiers? These brothers up there crying and scared. And I walk in and I sense there's something wrong. I didn't know. And I walked in. I go, what's going on? And I asked the staff. He goes, well, there's so-and-so downstairs. And we tried to get him out, but he wouldn't come. And he's making these weird noises and he's chanting down there. I said, well, what are you doing up here? How come you didn't go down there? Well, we're a little bit afraid. You know, evil things are happening down there. I go, this is the house of God. What's wrong with you? So I went down there and I, I saw this guy and he tried to like do a little, some Satan language. I rebuke you in the name of Jesus. And I walked up to his little pentagram and his candles and I kicked him over and I grabbed him. And I don't recommend this, but I grabbed him by the neck and I grabbed him upstairs and I drug him. I made sure I bumped into a couple of walls on the way up. Come on, somebody. I stuck him in the middle of the living room and I, the men wanted to run out. I said, you sit down. We're going to do this together. And I began to cast that demon out of him. And he, then he, you know, and I, I'm from the hood, so he got a little crazy. He wanted to yell at me. I says, please, please, please strike me. Please hit me. I wanted to fight this guy. <laughs> he came up to me, and he's talking all this garbage. And I'm saying, please, take a swing. And I was like, I'm literally telling him, swing at me. Please, swing at me. And the guys aren't really understanding because I'm the pastor. Come on, somebody. Pastor. And he wouldn't do it because he knew I was serious. It's that look. You know what I'm talking about? I looked him down into his soul like, you're going to do it. Let's do it because I'm dead serious. And I will lose my pastorate for this. <laughs> How serious I was. He wouldn't do it because he knew I was real. So then, he, you know, he took off. And as he's running away, he's yelling stuff back at me. And, he, and then he, then he kind of came back that night. And he was trying to get my niece out. And he was like, you know, she, had like a, she, was, she was affected by this. And she was trying to escape from the window, and he was calling her out, and then I saw him. You can't get a pastor, ex-gangster pastor mad at 2 o'clock in the morning because we're going to be real, right? So I jumped out of the house, and he saw me, and I chased him. You know, I, I don't recommend this either. I'm, just, I'm just, just giving you a little story here, how it happened. And I chased him, and he's yelling at me, and I chased him, and then I, I finally I caught him, you know. And there's this big, uh, there's this Chinese restaurant with a big glass window. And I, and I literally was going to, I was going to swing him through there and put deep fry him like a hot wing. Come on, somebody. And as I was about to do that, the Lord stopped me right in my track. And he says, and he says to me, he says to me, what are you doing? I haven't called you to fight that kind of a battle. I've called, I called you to fight a spiritual battle. And right in my grips, I was about to throw him and I let him go. I let him go, and then he noticed that I let him go, and I think he thought that was a sign of weakness, but it was a sign of submission to the Lord. 
And he started like barking away and he just was like, you know, he wanted to go off again. So, you know, I'm, I'm, a, I'm a young pastor and I said, look, I'm just giving you a break right now. I'm letting you go. God's dealing with me. I'm sorry I, I caused all this trouble. And he's like, oh, yeah, well, you better back off. And he went, that, he went there. So to answer my brother's question there, we, we finished. Uh, <laughs> kind of laid hands on him a little bit, you know what I mean, in the Lord, you know. And, and I went to take a city, but I had a devil living in my house. Another time, another guy came after her, uh, my niece again from a school, and he kind of like kidnapped her a little bit. And I went chasing this guy, and I, I went into the projects where he lived. And I had, and he had her, you know, and I, and I went, and I started kicking doors down. I don't recommend that either. I'm just telling you a story. And I kicked about three or four doors down. Finally, I got to the one where I thought it was, and I went in there, and his mom was in there. She's scared to death. as an older lady. But I was serious about it. I'm not going to let the devil take my kids. I'm not going to take what's responsible in my life. And then we got her. We took her out, and she was still kind of dumbfounded. You know, was, I think the enemy was using the weak part of my family. And we brought her back, and eventually she gave her life to the Lord. Eventually it worked out. Eventually we went to Stockton, you know. And other devils happened and came. See, see what my, my point is this, is that you, you can't let your faith fail when it becomes real and the attack gets real against your life. Your faith is going to get tested like that. And if you're going to serve God and you're going to do God's will, you're going to help your pastor build his church, your faith will be tested. And I'm not talking about just the word of faith. I'm talking about really what's, what hits home to you personally. See, now, these are years of experience that we've gone through. But see, what, what your faith will do if you get the victory in this area, your faith will elevate you to a place of seeing miracles happen in your life. When your faith gets locked into the purpose of God and the direction of God, that's where the, the truth of you can, you can call on God and God will meet every one of your needs. When, when faith becomes real to you, then not even the devil from hell can stop God's plan that's, that's been designed for your life. But we need men that walk like that, that trust God that way. That could suspend reality. I, I don't know how to, uh, how to explain that in deep detail, but there's things that will come up in your life, and you got the power to stop an attack against your life. And you got the power of God to be able to fulfill God's plan for your life as well. But it takes a trust. Trust breeds commitment. See, when you're a man of trust, you will be committed no matter what's going on around you. No matter the attack no matter the falsity, no matter the charges against you, your commitment will, let, will not let you be shaken. Micah 7, 8 says, do not rejoice over me, my enemy. When I fall, I will rise again. When I sit in darkness, the Lord will be my light. I am like a mountain. I will not be moved. That's the kind of man I want to go to war with. I want to be able to go to war with somebody that is not afraid to stop the attacks of the devil. How, how great is your faith this morning, this evening? Is your faith strong enough to be able to do what we really want to do? Your pastor here in, in Hayward wants to take, he wants to make a movie. It's not to say, hey, look, we made a movie. His whole motivation is to win souls and to, to, to the capacity of reaching the people. When you're sleeping, people will be getting saved. Somebody will be showing that movie somewhere and lives will be, will be able to get saved. That's what happens with the Duke of Earl. It's over 30 years old. We discovered today we're talking. It's over 30 years. People are still getting saved today over a movie that was, sometimes when we're asleep, people's lives are being touched. That's the power of media like that. 
So you got to understand that that takes faith. And I'm going to tell you, there's a price to pay for that faith as well. There's a price to be paying for that movie because the devil knows that if that thing happens, if the devil knows, if that thing comes about, there's going to be many souls saving somebody. I'm going to tell you, I'm going to tell you right now, you got to guard your pastor. You got to guard him in prayer and say, God, protect my pastor. Because the devil's going to get mad at him. He'll get upset with him. He's going to figure, well, if this young man has enough faith to believe God to save, to make a movie and save a lot of people, how much more? I, I bet you there's even another fear going on in hell somewhere that maybe, possibly, possibly, the Hayward men of God in the, in the East Bay, in the Bay Area men of God will get enough faith to say, look, if they could take their city for the Lord, maybe they could take their country for the Lord. Maybe they could take the world for the Lord. You oppose a threat to the enemy at that point. That's what I'm talking about, men of faith. I'm talking about towers of faith this evening. Men that say, I want to do what God's called me to do. It's not going to be just saying, I, I feel like it. I think I want to. I kind of feel like I want to. Just stop, stop that. We need men with iron in their soul. I, I want men like that around me in my leadership that have faith to trust God. Now, here's, here's the reality of that. Faith is believing God. And when you can believe God, it, it, let me tell you, you could do great things. Our beliefs have a fundamental, profound impact on our lives. How you believe. We choose what we believe. Somebody say amen. amen. Did you know that? Like you say, well, I'm, less, I'm this way because this is how I was raised up. My mama did it. My daddy did it. My uncle did it. My grandpa did it. My grand So therefore, I'm going to be like that. No, there comes a point in your life that you choose to stay like that. How you believe is a choice. You choose to be uh, uh, that way, or you could choose to not say, well, no, I'm a victim of my environment. I'm a victim of my circumstances. No, you could choose to do something about it. Look, I was a gangster. I was doomed for prison or death, but I chose one day to believe God to change my life. I chose one day to believe God that he could use my life. Amen. You choose. That's a, that's a choice here tonight. You could choose to stay where you're at, or you could choose to get to another level. And let me tell you, you can't, bl you can't blame anybody else for your situation. See, what I believe determines how I act. So if I believe God could do great things, God's going to do great things. So be careful how you think, the Bible says, your life will be shaped by your thoughts. So ask yourself, what goes on in your head most of the time? What goes on, what are your thoughts all day long? Is it tacos? Come on, somebody. Is it women? Is it drugs? Is it the world? Is it God's purpose? See, I'm going to tell you, men of God go to bed thinking about God's purpose. Men of God wake up with that plan. That's why we're always thinking about and dealing with things. It's because it's inside of our soul. See, there's a belief behind every action that we do. The way that you carry yourself, the way that you live, the way that you operate in your daily capacity, the things that you get down with, that's because that's what's inside of us. Whatever your, your daily thing is, that's what's inside of you. You could make a difference every single day at your job, at your house, with your family, everything that we do has a conscious or an unconscious belief behind it. I, I believe God for some great things. I'm believing God. Let me tell you, I'm believing God for a mega church. And it's not to come up here and to say, we're going to have a big church and lots of people. That's not even my motivation. My motivation is based and predicated upon the promise that God gave my pastor there in San Jose that we're going to take the Silicon Valley for Jesus Christ. I have entered under that covering of promise. And so I say, I'm going to do this not because I want to ring a bell or I want a badge. I don't even care about that. I would do this for free. But it's because I'm motivated by the promise that God has given us. And I stand upon that promise. That promise is my covering. That promise is a virtue. That promise is strength to me. 
and it's what I talk about. So I believe the promise. I believe it so much that we're going to keep planting churches. We're going to keep growing that church. I believe that God's going to make us a wealthy church. The other day, a millionaire came to our church. A millionaire, a multimillionaire came to our church, says, I want to finance your home for a year. And then after I meet with him, I met with him, we talked. He said, I want to finance your home for three years. And after three years, if you hold tight and you do the right things, I want to buy you a home. I said, come on in, brother. I believe and have been believing God for that to happen since the beginning of my salvation. I'm realizing it now. By the way, when you believe God for something, it ain't going to happen on your time frame. It's going to happen when you can handle it. Uh, Y'all missed that one. Some of you are poor because you want to be poor. Some of you are broke because you want to be broke. Some of you don't want to have the big blood. See, well, I dream big. No, but you don't do nothing about action talks. You can talk about it all day or you could do something about it. See, there's belief behind every action. I believe God's going to bless. I believe that God's going to bless us when we're going to be wealthy. When I was, I was probably in second grade, I remember my mom was taking me to an old Spanish Assemblies of God church, and this old lady came out, uh, and, and, and she, she began to pray for me. She prophesied over me. She said, you're going to live the life of two kingdoms. I said, I don't know what this was. I didn't learn what it was till later on when I grew up. My mom told me about that prophecy a few years ago. She said, look, she told you you're going to have a, the ability to live in one kingdom and you're also going to live another kingdom and the, and the latter is going to be better than the former. I didn't know what that was as a little child. All of a sudden, as she prayed for me, I started to speak in tongues. I thought I was speaking Spanish. Come on now. I went home and I told my mom, I told my brothers, look, I could speak Spanish. And I said, I was speaking in tongues when I was a little boy. God had a promise for my life. Now, that's been several, several years. I ain't going to tell you how old I am, but it has been several, several years. But I'm starting to realize that promise now. I'm starting to realize the blessings of God. I'm starting to realize the ability to operate in that capacity of leadership. See, when a person gives up, uh, when a person gives up, they believe the voice that, that's saying to them it's over. I, I, don't, I don't listen to that voice. I don't, I don't, I don't give up. I, I, I'm persistent on, on the promises of God. So when a person is overwhelmed with despair, when you hold on to the bitternesses or, the cho- or, or you choose to live a life that is guarded, you'll never get anywhere. You'll be consumed by your bitterness. Bitterness is an enemy to faith. Uh, when you come to a place where you agree to the lies that the devil throws, you will never get to the next level in your walk with God. I believe every man in this, in this room should be blessed and be a powerful man of God. I believe everyone in this room should be financially blessed. I believe that you all have the ability to be a leader in some capacity. I believe that there's some, particular, particularly in this room, that will be pastors one day, even though the lie of the devil and the voice of the devil will tell you, you can't do it, it's too late, you messed up too much. you got to rebuke that voice and no, God can use my life. It's what you choose to believe. That movie's gonna be, that movie's gonna happen because your pastor chooses to believe it. He's not trying to ring his own bell. Look at what I did. No, that's far from the truth because he knows how much it's gonna cost. But he's saying inside of his heart, man, souls can get saved. Man, we could be sleeping and lives could be touched. Man, we can be going to, to another country and got, lives will get touched. That's the power of that. Let me ask you a question: What defines you as a man this this evening? Is it your hard worker? You're a hard worker, or or, or you're a man that has surrendered to the things of God. So when 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 one surrenders to to the to these types of attacks against their life, then you have accepted the lesser narrative of, of what defines you, and most of all, what God has designed you to be. When you start listening to the lies, you've lowered yourself to another level that God has not designed you to be at. 
You don't have to be small-minded. You don't have to be weak. You don't have to be troublesome. You don't have to have a bad marriage. Listen to me. You can have a great marriage. Pastor, you don't know my woman. You don't know that I married the devil's cousin. Come on now. No, no, let me tell you. You can, you can have a great marriage. Why do denominations fail? It's because they, they lose their sense of purpose. The next thing that we need to get that, to get that future solid in our life is you have to understand our purpose. you got to know why we do what we do. We don't put churches around the world simply because we don't have anything else to do. It's, it's defining our purpose. And if you're a man that is walking with a clarity of your purpose, people will follow you. When you operate with a clarity of purpose, men that are broken, men that are gangster, men that are, that are thugs, men that are lost will follow you because they see that your purpose is defined. When you don't know where you're going, how's anybody else going to follow you so you could take them to nowhere land? Come on now. They'll follow you when you know where you're going. See, I, I said this before. You could, you could be all dressed up to go to the beach with shorts and flip-flops and a tank top. And some, you, could even have, you could even have sunblock. But if your car is pointing towards Lake Tahoe where it's snowing and that's the direction you're going, you can look like it all you want, but you're going the wrong way. Amen, somebody. You can look like you're all together in this room, but you may ask yourself, are you going the wrong way? It's when you get the direction right. You get your clarity of purpose. You get your direction where God wants you to go right. When that is right, then you will have people following you. But when, you're, when your direction is scrambled or it's too random, nobody's going to follow you. I don't even know if you would follow yourselves. You're going in circles. Proverbs 20:18 says, make plans by seeking advice. If you, wa- if you wage war, obtain guidance. The key to a man that has purpose is always checking his direction through having people in his life that he has become accountable to. See, accountability is a protection, and most men miss that. They think accountability is slavery. i got to answer to somebody. i got to listen to somebody. Accountability is very, very important to a growing leader's life. So when a leader comes up to you, and they tell you something, and they start jamming you about where your life is or a situation in your life, instead of getting all mad and saying stuff like, well, who died and made you boss over my life? Who made you pharaoh over my life? You should rather say, you know what, thank you. Thank you for jamming me and calling me on something. Because before that man came up to you and jammed you, he must have spent time, if he's a man of God, in prayer and asking God for the right words to address you in the first place so you don't get offended and all hurt and butt hurt. I don't know if that's biblical, but you, you get all tripped out on that. I don't think I've ever said that before, but you're all hurt and busted up and everything and all crying. That man took time to pray for you. That individual took time to think consciously of what's the right word to address you and to be able to to put you in check, but still win you as a man of God and a brother. So next time somebody comes and books you, you should just give them a big hug and say, thank you, because I know you took time to get a hold of my life because my purpose and my direction was getting crooked, and you certainly stepped into my life, and you took the uncertainty and you cleared it up by being able to jam me, and I give you permission to do that. I like people like that, that, that let me jam them. Now, I don't mean to say that you got to just come and just become like a yes man. I don't like yes men, by the way. I don't just want people, yes, sir, yes, sir, yes, sir. You know, I'm okay with obedience. I'm okay with servanthood. But there's a thin line between ministry and manipulation. A thin line where you take advantage of people. You know, I, I appreciate the, the men that God's blessed me with. 
I, I, I often go, I don't know who picks up my Bible. Most of the time, my Bible's gone after church. Most of the time, I'm coming to church, there's coffee handed to me. There's, there's, there's great privileges and perks that come with being a man of God. But don't ever take advantage of that. Don't, don't ever misuse the kindness and the gentleness and the servanthood of somebody that's saying that it's you because then you're going to make it seem like you're the man and you're not the man. You're a man. You are a man of God under authority. That's why Jews wear yarmulkes is because it's a constant reminder, that little hat on their head, that they are not above God. They are always below God. Now, I'm not saying go out and get a yarmulke, but, you know, don't get it twisted. Okay, we got a plan for the future. But you got to be open to, to holy contingencies as God will change them at times in your life. The Bible says that commit to the Lord whatever you do and your plans will succeed, meaning that you got to put a plan in place but know and be open to the fact that maybe God will change that plan. I, I was going to, to, to Hawaii to start a church and it ended up in Stockton. That's a big difference of reality. Come on, somebody. From paradise to asparagus. <laughs> Holy Ghost contingency. Now it was supposed to be, they told me, six months. 20 years later, I'm in San Jose. I'm open to that because I committed my heart to God and my life belongs to God. I don't know any other way. I, I'm not like some of y'all that have a trade or a career or an ability. You fix cars, you build houses, you pour concrete, you make walls, you, you invent things, you play instruments. You know, I don't got that. All I got is the gospel. No, typically I'm a sharp guy, think, I understand, or whatever, but I ain't got, I'm not going to go hammer away at things because I wouldn't know. Don't put a hammer in my hands. One time we were fixing the church in, in, in Stockton, and I decided to go help the fellas. Don't, don't ever let your pastor help you, by the way, anyways. <laughs> and they bent this rebar to stick into the concrete, and so it's like an L shape. And they go, 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 okay, pastor. They were real reluctant, but okay, pastor, go get a few bars and bring them so we can stick them in the concrete. I go, yeah, yeah, I'm happy, you know, and had my little belt on. You know, I don't even you know what was in it. <laughs> so I grabbed a bunch of them, not knowing that they, they move when you walk. I didn't know that. So I'm walking, and all of a sudden, pop, pop. I had lines on my forehead for days, brother, because I was trying to do something that I wasn't designed to do. I'm designed to preach the gospel. I have been bred and built and, and saved so I could preach the gospel. And I'm not saying that, that you that have careers, that you're not you know, like me or I'm not like you. I'm just saying my, this is what God's called me to do, and I'm clear with that. I'm straight with the purpose that he's designed for my life, and I've owned up to it, and I'm submitted to that. And so, therefore, I have to continue to work that process in my life. See, even though you have an understanding of your purpose and clarity of your purpose, you've got to constantly be defining and redefining and recalibrating it. If you're not constantly working on it, then you're going to become, you're going to become predictable. And a predictable target is a dead target. So you can't be a man or leader that is going to become predictable to the point where the devil figured out your moves. Let me tell you, you got to be able to be a step ahead of the enemy because, by the way, he's out to take you out. And so when you're a step ahead of the game, you'll be like Paul, even though he comes and they whipped him and they stoned him and they left him out in a night and a day. And even though that happened, he never lost sight of his purpose because he was, he was, he was set on that. That's why people followed that great man. 
our founders in the beginning of ministry were offered millions. He, I was with him the other day. We went to Seattle with him, and he was sharing the story of when they offered him millions. They didn't offer him just a little bit. They offered him millions and the millions, and they offered it for years. He says, I turned it down because it would have changed our purpose. He says, another time that uh, they offered him millions of dollars for our homes, but he went to go meet with them in Washington, and they, they started telling him, well, you got to do this, and you got to do that, and he walked away from millions of dollars. He was telling me that he owned All-American TV, and it became very extremely successful, but it was taking too much of his time from the ministry. And they said, you got to be here. So he ended up selling it. He ended up selling it. But they offered a secular station, offered him hundreds of millions of dollars, and he walked away from it. Because in his heart, he had conviction. He's a man of principle. And they said, this is a Christian station, and I don't want people that are dependent upon this station out there to turn it on one day and see something worldly out there. So he sold it for a, a very small percentage back to the company, to the people that he bought it from in the first place. Principle. I love men of principle. Men that say, look, I can have this and it could feel good, but it's not what's inside of me. Principles do not change. You've got to be a man of Turn to someone be a man of principle. I was doing what God called me to do in Stockton for 20 years. I never complained. Stockton is not the most beautiful place in the world. By the way, it's probably one of the ugliest places in the world to live. New Jersey is number one. Newark, New Jersey is number one. And Stockton is right behind it. Come on, somebody. But I didn't fuss and I didn't complain because I knew I was right where God wanted me to be. They said, be there for a while. I said, I'll be there for a while. 20 years later, and I never complained, never tripped. Now, I'm not saying that it wasn't easy all the time, because there was times that it was very challenging. There's nothing to do there. The most important thing to do, the most funnest thing to do is to go to Costco and eat the hot dog for $1.50 and get the free sample. That's it. <laughs> That's real. But I held my post. I held my post because I was, I was, I was assigned there. It was my purpose. Because God was trying to shape me to what I have to do today, what I am doing today. He had, he had to get me in a place that was close enough to my pastor so that I can hear and feel his heart. So that one day, not knowing that I was going to be in that very church. He had to have me in that place so that I could be close to the, to the corporate. So that I could be back and forth with all the meetings and the things that I'm involved with in the international as well. Hawaii would have been a little bit too far. It would have been too much child. I probably would have missed a season that God was designing for me. So I submitted to what didn't look very nice. It didn't look very well. But I held to my purpose and it paid off. Because here I am today doing exactly and right where God wants me to be. Even when I came to San Jose, it wasn't easy. People would, would, would go through changes. They're, they're, they're mourning and grieving. It was hard for them. But here I am having to lead them. I didn't get the chance to grieve like everybody else. I had to hit the ground running and purposefully lead that church so it doesn't fall apart. So I could not have done that had I not gone through the, through the trials and difficulties of, of the cities that I was in before. But because I held my purpose, I understood the purpose of that church. And because I'm there now, we can lead gracefully and wonderfully because we learn the lessons in the chambers of the darkness of the pits of hell. We learn the lessons there so that we can stand victorious when you find God's purpose and direction for your life. So stop crying about your trials and stop tripping about it. It ain't fair. Read in the Bible and show me one time where it says it's fair. It doesn't, it doesn't show up in the Bible. God's not, it doesn't say that he's fair. It says that God is just. I like, I, I like how these quotes go. Adversity brings the character of people down to the level of their circumstances or it brings them up to the level of their present challenge. 
Anyone can hold a helm at the sea when the sea is calm. I like this one here. It's adversity that introduces us to our real self. You don't know who you really are till you get, t- till you get tipped up a little bit by some devil. Come on, somebody. Adversity introduces you to your real self. So when you hit that thing again and you act all sissified, then we know who you really are. When the little trial comes and makes you trip a little bit and you feel a little bit weird, and you act weird, then we know who you really are. I love, maybe I'm crazy, I don't know, but I love to see people going through trials. Because I really want it, it, it shows me who they really are. Now our church has been going through it for about two and a half years or so, so the smoke is settling, the things are starting to calm down, and the real folks are showing up now. So now they're all, oh good, I'm here pastor, and we're here praising the Lord, and taking the city, and we're behind you, and all that drama. But now the smoke is cleared, and the real trials come up, and there ain't no more smoke to hide behind. So I'm looking out, and I'm seeing some of these folks, and how they trip, and how they act. Little trials come, and I'm surprised that some of these pinto viejos that are going through a few little trials, and they did big fat time in the penitentiary, and they're crying about because somebody called them a name. I said, I should backhand you, man. I said, what neighborhood were you from? Oh, I was from this side. And I go, oh, that makes sense. Okay. <laughs> tough-minded leaders will last longer than the tough times. Tough-minded leaders will last longer than the tough times. If you allow circumstances to decide the nature of your character, you will become the worst possible translation of yourself. Did you get that? If you allow circumstances to decide the nature of your character, you will become the worst possible translation of yourself. Circumstances cannot dictate your actions. They should confirm whether you're on point or you're not on point. And when you respond to those circumstances correctly because you're under the authority of God, you will always come out ahead. And when you're clear on that purpose, you can and will go through anything because you know that God is with you and it's what God wants for your life. Look, what you're going through is because you can handle it. So don't be tripping on what you're going through. you got to know that you're there because God already allowed it because he knows you can handle it. And if you couldn't handle it, he wouldn't let you be in that situation. So stop trying to get out of the fire. Stay in the fire. See, when you stay in the fire, you become more pure. I love men of God that have pure hearts. I don't like to hang out with people that are false, that are, that are plastic, that, that say one thing, but they mean another thing. You, you, got, you know anybody like that? They, they say something, but they really got a hidden agenda over here. I can't get down with guys like that. I'm like, because oh, like, see, when it gets difficult, you're going to need that man to be pure in his heart. That's what you need. You need men that are going to back you up when, when it gets, because bullets are going to fly. Please say amen to that. Bu- 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 <laughs> spiritual bullets are going to fly. And you can't, I mean, one time I was in the neighborhood, and uh, one of my homies, I'll die for you, know, the whole song and dance, right? And so the, the, we, were, we were talking earlier to a brother. I got jumped behind Jack in the Box, and the guys came out, and they bumper jacked me. That's why I got a scar. They broke my nose. Anyways, so as soon as they came out, this guy ran faster than the bullets. Come on, somebody. And I said, if I live from this, that boy's going to pay a price. Thank God I lived, and he got a beat down. I, I think I beat him for two days just for that. Come on, somebody. I don't like those kind of, it's hard for me. It's not, I, I like real men. Here, here, and I'm going to close with it. Here's what real men do. Real men don't give up. The Bible says that Jesus is the same yesterday, today, and forever. He is unchanging, and in a rapidly changing world, the only security that you can really have is in something that doesn't change. 
Malachi 3, 6 is, for, for I am the Lord and I do not change. Isaiah 54, 17, no weapon formed against you shall prosper. Hebrews 13, 5, I will never leave you and I will never forsake you. These are words that do not change. Isaiah 43, 2, when you pass through the waters, I will be with you. And through, through the rivers, they shall not overflow you. When you walk through the fire, you shall not be burned, nor shall your flame scorch you. Those are words that are unshakable and they are forever. But that builds courage in a man. When you understand the promises in the word of God. Two things that will keep you from fulfilling your future. Number one, fear. Number two is, disc is discouragement. Fear keeps you from starting and discouragement keeps you from finishing. Fear will stop you from going into the Jordan and discouragement will keep you from crossing over it when you get in it. David didn't see a giant. He saw an opportunity. Daniel didn't fear the king or the lions. Then he feared God. Moses didn't see the Red Sea. He saw the salvation of the Lord. David Wilkerson didn't see a gang member. He seen Nikki Cruz, an evangelist. Nikki Cruz didn't see a drug addict. He saw Pastor Sonny, the founder of Victory Outreach. What happens when you're a man that stands your post? You become a loyal man. Loyalty is not loyalty until loyalty has been tested. You cannot say you're a loyal man until you have the opportunity to become disloyal. That's how we know you're loyal. When you have the opportunity to walk away and to be disloyal, and you don't, that's a loyal man. Loyalty isn't, I'm bad, I'm big, I'll be brush, I'll fight, I'll do, I'll back you up. That ain't loyal. Loyalty is when you have the chance when nobody's looking is to burn somebody. Come on now. I want men behind me that are loyal. Men that are going to back it up. Look, look, we don't always have all the answers. Sometimes as a disciple, you don't understand everything the pastor is doing, the direction he's leading you. Sometimes you don't understand his, you don't got his stilo down yet. Sometimes you're working alongside your pastor and you're going through some stuff. And let me tell you, there's, it's, there's times in a good disciple's life that you have to understand before it's your time to understand. Did you get that? There's things that you're going to go through that you're not going to understand yet, but later on you, it'll make sense to you. Just trust your pastor. Trust the leading of your pastor. Uh, he doesn't have all the answers. He's not, he's not Superman. He can't always leap in a single bound for you. Sometimes he's going to say something crazy, just like most of us. I, you know, I'm a pastor, and sometimes you say things, and you can't unring a bell. You know, anybody know what I'm talking about? You say something crazy. Oh, man, I should have said that. Uh, well, sometimes it's not because they're trying to hurt you. It's because they're trying, we, have a, we have a process of trying to lead our church. And in that process, we're, we're, we're getting there, and sometimes we're not perfect. Listen to me, pastors, we're not perfect. We don't have all the answers. Uh, sometimes they think that we're supposed to be show up and, and be perfect every single Sunday. It's not like that. Sometimes we're going through changes like you. You, you go through changes. Why can't we go through changes? Come on, you ain't special. <laughs> but see, a man of God could still come and hit a home run. A man of God could still come and deliver because he's, he's called with his purpose. He's clear. He's got faith to do that. But a man, a man that, that wavers in that, we don't have a great future. You know what we have in this room? We have a great future in this room. Men whose faith has been tested. How are we going to expand to the left and to the right? Is men of faith. Men that have courage. Stand with me this evening. Just lift your hands for a moment. Lord, we love you. We thank you for this great opportunity to share your gospel. I thank you for the privilege of, of dressing these great men of God. I thank you for these future leaders in this room, God, men that you've chosen, men that have had taken time tonight to come and to, be, and to separate and to be with you and to hear from you, God. And as we talk tonight, Lord, I pray blessings on these men. I pray breakthroughs in their lives. I pray openness in their lives. Let them realize the severity of the attacks of the enemy, the seriousness of the call and the purpose that you've designed for them. 
I pray, Lord, tonight that these men will step up to another layer, to another challenge, another layer of leadership, willing to stick, take to that next level and be able to accept the changes that are required to be in that level. I pray for a great courageous men to, to develop in this room, men that will help our founders to take the world for Jesus Christ. Father, I pray for these men right now that you would just challenge them to another level. If God is dealing with you tonight, and you say, you know what, Pastor Rob, that's me. I, I, I feel God leading me to another level. And I got changes that I got to make. And I'm not afraid to do that. I want you to come out of your seat. And I want to pray for some of you.